0: Hi, I'm Darren Pepperd. Welcome to the Leaning into Leadership podcast, the podcast dedicated to today's hardworking leader. Join me every Sunday for leadership insight, inspiration, and a little pep talk to keep you rolling down your road to awesome. Welcome into episode 48 of the Leaning into Leadership podcast. My guest on the show today is Dr. Larry Dake. And you might be wondering, Who exactly is Dr. Larry Dake? I'll tell you all about him in just a moment. But first, let me share this. Episode 48 to me is a very special episode. And the reason is because we are able to announce finally that we have formally joined the Teach Better podcast network. This is such an exciting time for us. We are honored and grateful to the members of the Teach Better family who have welcomed us in and invited us to be a part of the Teach Better podcast network. Big shout out and big thank you to Joshua Stamper, to Jeff Gargas, to Ray Hewitt, and to Chad Ostrowski, Dave Schmidt, the entire crew at Teach Better we're really excited to be a part of the Teach Better Podcast Network. You can check out all these incredible shows because, folks, there are so many of them, so many great podcasts. Just go over to teachbetter.com forward slash podcasts and check out all of the incredible podcasts and podcasters that are hanging out there on the Teach Better Podcast Network. Again, leaning into leadership, very excited to be part of the Teach Better Podcast Network. And now let me tell you about my guest today, Dr. Larry Dake. He has served in leadership positions for over 12 years as a curriculum coordinator, a principal, and as an assistant superintendent. He attended King's College in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, and Binghamton University in Binghamton, New York. Beyond spending time with family, Larry is an avid baseball history fan, and he spends way too much time looking up stats on baseballreference.com. Tell me that's not cool. Professionally, Larry has served as a school leader for 13 years spanning three districts and roles as curriculum coordinator, building principal, and assistant superintendent overseeing instruction, personnel, and finance. It's quite a combination and we're going to talk about that during the show. He also teaches at Binghamton University Educational Leadership Program and mentors perspective early career administrators. Larry is the author of two previous books, crisis management, effective leadership to avoid early burnout, and identifying small habits. Left unchecked by school leaders, small vaults can become major cracks. Larry Dake is my guest on the show today, and we will get to that interview with Larry Dake right after these messages. Hey leaders, let me tell you a story. It's the story of my first year as a high school principal. I will tell you I was exhausted, I was overwhelmed, and I lived my life breathing through a snorkel because my head was so far underwater and I didn't think there was a way out. I mean, I was a mess. The 40 feet that it was to move from my assistant principal office down to the principal's office might as well have been a 400 mile trek. I was just absolutely putting in crazy hours, was trying to do it all. Like trying to answer everybody's question, thinking I always had to be the smartest one in the room and I had to solve everybody's problems. We're talking severe Superman syndrome here, folks. Every day was fire after fire, and all I accomplished was putting out fires. Forget about leading, I was simply trying to survive. Now, after working with a leadership coach, I really was able to get things figured out, get my head. From being a firefighter to actually being a leader. But it took work, and I discovered some things that really mattered. And that's why I've created Walk in Your Purpose Five Mindsets to Level Up Your Leadership, a free ebook that you can have today at no cost. Just go to walkinyourpurpose.roadtoawesome.net/backslash ebook to download your free copy. Again, that's walk in your purpose. Road to backslash ebook. It's time for you to walk in your purpose, to find joy in your job, and to be the leader you always knew that you could be.
1: This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and a podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts. At www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode.
0: Larry, welcome into the Leading Into Leadership podcast. I'm super stoked to talk to you today, man. How you doing?
1: Great, Darren. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. We're, you know, we're heading into the holiday season. It's almost one third of the way here in New York State through our school year. So really great time to reflect and and really have to look forward to being on. So Thank you. Very much a long-time listener. Enjoyed your conversation with Dr. Uh, Kranes last week and uh, just excited to be here. So thank
0: you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, the conversation with Dan, uh, Dan was really, really good. Um, we, maybe we'll even, you know, chase a little bit of that too, the, you know, sure. school leader as the instructional, as the actual yeah, instructional leader in the building.
1: On, his honesty uh, and his vulnerability were really, like, I, I walked away with that and have been thinking about that ever since. And so that
0: was a dynamite conversation. So yeah, Yeah. yes, I appreciate that. Yeah, he, uh, he and I met for the first time in person, actually at the teach better conference in October Mm -hmm. in Ohio. And I was on his podcast. And then we just started having this instructional leadership conversation. It's like, okay, Dan, man, we've got to get you on. So so I appreciate that you enjoyed that episode. Really quick, Larry, for my my listeners who maybe don't know who Larry Dake is, just Mm -hmm. a quick rundown who you are, those kinds of things.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I am. I'm here in, in Binghamton, New York, which is a small city in upstate New York, about an hour south of Syracuse, about three hours northwest of New York City, uh, close to the Pennsylvania line. And currently, I am the assistant superintendent for instruction and budget in the Binghamton City School District. I'm finishing up, or I should be halfway through now, my seventh year as an assistant superintendent across a couple of districts, thirteenth year as an administrator overall, eighteenth in education. Um, I've been across three districts. I was originally a high school social studies teacher, and then a curriculum coordinator. I was an elementary building principal, which I didn't see coming, um, at some point, and then the last seven years now as an assistant superintendent. Um, Married to uh, my wife for 15 years. She's an elementary reading teacher in a neighboring district, and we have three children: 13, 11, and 8. My daughter, oldest, just turned 13 about a week and a half ago. So. The reality of having a teenage daughter is definitely hitting a little bit, but uh, you know we're, we're making do so far.
0: Yeah, welcome to the teenage years, man. It's, <laughs> yeah, it is and, on. Uh,
1: <laughs> I feel like they started a couple of years ago, but now they're maybe beginning in earnest with her. She's a great kid, don't get me wrong. Um, yeah. and, and also, I, I, I'm an adjunct professor in the Binghamton University Educational Leadership Program. So um, I teach a couple of classes in that program and That's been just a wonderful opportunity. Lots and lots of the prospective admins that have come through are now in districts. Some are in the district I work in. Uh, Many people tend to stay in our region, although the program is now statewide and fully remote, which is fantastic. So that's been a great opportunity to really mentor young leaders, but also learn from them. And I I liken it to always having a new group of students every September as a teacher. That excitement, that, that beginning, you know, when you're interacting with people that are at the beginning of their careers continuously, it's all ahead of them. It's a little bit of renewal for me as well. So teaching in that program at the higher ed level is has been a great experience.
0: So I told you before we hit record that you were going to say something in here that would spark sure. you know, a, a thought, and then we were going to chase that. And there's actually two. So number one, social studies teacher to elementary principal. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that, because that's not the normal pathway, not that not that anybody has a perfectly normal pathway into school leadership. But how how did that transpire? And what were maybe, you know, from being a high school social studies teacher to being in the elementary, what what were some of the oh, wow, moments for you?
1: Yeah, you know, I I think there were a couple. Um, I became an elementary principal, building principal at age 33 and had teachers who had been teaching in that building and in that you know, grade level longer than I had been alive at that point. So there are just some realities to that, you know, and as I look back on it now, you know, you might think like, well, I wasn't incredibly well versed in elementary curriculum yet or instruction or those kinds of things. But I think the benefits actually were that I had to go in and do a ton of learning. I really had to learn from staff, learn from the school community. It was a school that was in need of improvement at that time. And so we were in the middle of that process as well. And, you know, looking at all sorts of inputs and systems and things of that nature, um, the fact that I really didn't know what I was doing in a lot of ways. um, I came into the position through the superintendent of that district. It's a different district than I'm in, who I just think had a similar path in her career and believed in the idea of, someone who would be young and hungry with a fresh set of eyes. The key was really building relationships and working with the community and helping that building believe in themselves again. Um, And you know, there's a lot to be said about being in the right place at the right time and that probably had something to do with it as well. But I think the fact that I really had to learn a ton on the fly was a benefit because I didn't really come in with preconceived notions about what reading program should we use. What model should we use for elementary math? There were a lot of changes in New York State at that time. I was very well versed in those, very well versed in using the data and um, the, the standards that were changing. And so I could bring that to the table. I could help the school uh, really build relationships with the community and learn from the staff and really empower them to be instructional leaders in their own right hand. Again, a lot to be said about being in the right place at the right time. It it was and still is a wonderful teaching staff. Um, You know, the head custodian of the building was also an anti-bullying trainer in the building. So you had just incredible capacity. My building building secretary was literally a computer scientist, a rocket scientist. Um, So just a great team, inherited a great team. And, you know, it was only three short years in that building before I... Became an assistant superintendent, Um, but it it was a a great ride. I've said I actually said this to someone last night. Uh, There's a parallel universe where I'm still the principal there, and uh, it's wonderful. And so um, that transition, I think, like lots of transitions that I've had, um, I really, on paper, have wouldn't be plucked out of a series of resumes. You know, to go from that position. To that now be 36 and be an assistant superintendent, again, that was seven years ago. Um, but the, the, the common thread with all of those has been someone believing in me, maybe a little more than I believed in myself at that time, um, and, and being open to learning and being open to being uncomfortable and having to really pick up things in a hurry. And uh, that's been something that's really been translated throughout my career um, that, that I've been able to do and I think has made me better as a leader in many ways.
0: Yeah, you know, we've talked about it on the show quite a few times. I'll go back to the episode with Randy Russell, the superintendent from Freeman, Washington. He referred to what what you're talking about as the tap on the shoulder you know we all had that that tap on the shoulder to get us moving forward uh into not only our first leadership role but probably multiple ones and you know certainly a great tap on the shoulder to move you into this this elementary role which actually dovetails perfectly into what my second uh spoke of thought was and that's those other folks that are just now getting that tap on the shoulder the yeah. those young early career leaders that you're getting the opportunity to mentor and to help groom, you know, as a as an adjunct professor, when when I look at the landscape right now in school leadership across our country, we're we're not short school leaders, but people mm-hmm. I've said this numerous times on the podcast, but people seem to be moving through the leadership pipeline quite rapidly. What are right. you seeing and what are you experiencing as you're working with those young leaders, both on their way in the door? to the university system and on their way out the door.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. Even thinking back, you know, I finished my administrative degree in 2009. I applied bunches of places, I was a finalist many times. Um, That summer, I was not hired, I went back into the classroom, and taught another year, and then had a similar experience the next summer of 2010, then was eventually hired, you know, so I, I went out of my program my internship was as a middle school assistant principal i was a high school teacher i, I thought i would be an assistant principal for five to seven years be a building principal mm-hmm. that's what i had in my head those were the jobs right. i was applying for i didn't get hired for any of them and so one of the things i i tell folks is be open to new opportunities you know be open to things that maybe you weren't thinking would be the path that you take um and with that said you know be very intentional about the fit you find yourself in there are going to be at least in our region there are going to be openings continuously over the next handful of years i mean the, the data that comes out from our state superintendents department you know a, a quarter of all superintendents are going to retire in the next three to five years and that's going to create all this upward movement of people filling those jobs so there's going to be assistant principalships and directorships and coordinator positions and principal positions that you would traditionally see someone early career step into. So don't feel like you have to jump in and take the first thing that looks nice and appealing. You know, think about your life situation. Think about your fit. What can you take on right now? Just because you can be a building principal at a young age in a district, maybe a half an hour away doesn't mean you should doesn't mean that's what's best for your family and that's what's best for your fit. So I think it's really important for people to think about where they want to be and what fits with their life right now. Because if, if, you're, if you take a position and your family life is out of whack, A, that position is going to be there down the road. It's going to open up again or something like it in the, probably the near future. But secondly, you're not going to be happy if you feel yourself being pulled, you have to attend basketball games 45 minutes away in the winter and you've got two kids under the age of five back home that you're now not seeing that's not worth it that's not worth it at all nobody's getting incredibly wealthy doing this work we're not inventing google apps here so you know the fact that you might be able to earn another seven to ten thousand dollars taking that position you could wait a couple of years in a position and wait for something better to open up so I think that three letter word of fit is really the big message that we have today. So when I'm talking to young um, early career admins, some young, some you know maybe just enter the program later. And I would say this happens once a week. Someone gives me a call, hey, Larry, you know, X district just opened up. What do you think? That's typically my question to them is, can you see yourself there? And what impact would that have on your personal professional life and balance? Now, it can't be perfect. You, you you know as well as anyone. You sign up for these jobs, you're going to get more emails. Right. You're going to be the one in the office the day before Thanksgiving. It's part of a trade-off, but it, it doesn't mean that there are things that should be sacrificed. You know, I, I think about superintendencies on my end. You know, My oldest just turned 13, which we talked about. There'll be superintendent openings seven years from now. I'm pretty confident that there will be something that opens up. So whether that happens in the next seven years for me or not, I, I know once, you know, and once they're out the door, they, they come and visit, but it's never the same. And so, you know, trying to, to take stock of where you are and what the priorities are um, is important. I don't know if I would have been able to articulate that five years ago as well as I can now. Um, but what I say to folks is, you know, with the benefit of hindsight now, keep those things in mind.
0: I think that's exceptional advice. Uh, You know, I remember going back into you know my early career as you know as a as a principal, assistant principal, that kind of thing. Um, Yeah, sure. I was looking at fit, but more it was like you know, no, I want to get into that role. And I think it's competitive now in a different way. You know, back then, like you said, you know, you go a year, you don't necessarily get hired. I was the same way. I completed my master's degree in two thousand five. And didn't get hired that year and actually got passed over in my own building. I was really frustrated by that. And it eventually, you know, the next year went back to my home state and, uh, ultimately, you know, assistant principal and then, and then high school principal, of course. So, um, fit is huge, but my point with the, with how competitive it is now is it's, it's almost like it's flipped, you know, in 2006, when I was interviewing 2009, 2010, when you were interviewing, you were up against quite a few. Now it's almost like it's back on the other shoe. And I'm curious as as an assistant, soup, sure. what, what you see with yeah. you know 10, 10 or 12 buildings that you have, are you having candidates who, okay, I'm going to interview with you, but I'm also looking here and maybe candidates can be a little more choosy on exactly what you just said, which is finding their fit.
1: Absolutely. I think that's one of two things that is happening, at least in our region. The other one, before I get to yours is like your experience and my experience of having to wait. We have folks now that are putting, this, putting themselves out there before their programs are complete and, and then they're not getting hired. So I've had to have the conversation like, listen, I was told no eight times before I was hired for my first position. You know, you're on number two when you haven't finished your program yet. So it's the price for putting yourself out there, but you have the luxury of being patient. But like you said, I I think not just some of the candidates coming out of programs, but those that are sitting in positions have a multitude of opportunities that probably didn't exist 15 or 20 years ago. The job market has certainly become more favorable to someone who's really good at their job and has some options. You know, we we got into uh, our hiring. You know, it's always happening. But, you know, spring, summer is when it really picks up particularly for leaders, and um, we had multiple candidates who had options, and would ask us for a few more days, or would ask the other district for a few more days. And um, again, it's a smaller region; we all kind of know each other. That have been doing this for a while, and so you know, the person's considering us, and they're considering our neighboring district. Um, I think it. I think the on the district side. You have to accept the fact that some of the power of the hire has has gone the other way and you know 15 years ago to say i want a week to think about it would have been unthinkable because they probably had two or three other great candidates waiting in the wings but now if it's the person you want and they want the weekend or they want to you know they want to go back and think about what this might mean i i several districts I, I talked to other people this summer were like god we're still waiting it's been Three days, four days. I think that's the reality right now. I said to someone again last week, you know, don't worry about the next job. If you're good, at, if you do this job you're in now well, you're going to have a multitude of opportunities. People will come and be searching you out um, for the next opening. So I think it really comes down to quality candidates are going to have options that they probably didn't have 15 or 20 years ago. And I don't really see that going away. Um, the one thing that I think could impact it is when the stimulus money dries up, which everything is cyclical. When we get into a budget situation where we may need to tighten a little bit, that might put a little bit of a, of a dwindle on that. But as things stand right now, districts have had the luxury of creating some positions that maybe didn't exist a couple of years ago. So there's a lot of options out there if uh, folks want to pursue them. That's for sure.
0: We will return to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast in just a moment. But first, let me ask you a question. Have you ever said to yourself, Man, I should write a book. Well, if you have, then let me ask you another question. What's holding you back? What keeps you from taking the step that moves you from I have an idea about a book to I am a published author? From experience, I would bet it's probably you're wondering who would even want to read a book that I wrote. Maybe you're questioning the idea. Is it unique enough? Is it valid enough? Is it good enough to be a book worthy of having published? Hey, as a best-selling author myself, I can tell you most writers have had the exact same feelings at some point in time during their writing journey. Here at Road to Awesome, we believe in cultivating leaders by elevating voices and promoting positivity and a part of that work is publishing books for educators by educators. Go to roadtoawesome.net and hit the Contact Us button to set up a free, no-obligation conversation about your book idea. Hey, educators, we've all had incredible experiences. We all have amazing stories, and every one of them deserves to be told. Go to roadtoawesome.net, hit the Contact Us button, Let's have that conversation about your book idea. And now, back to the Leaning into Leadership podcast. I'm seeing a lot of that too. You know, people that are you know fairly early in their career. I mean, one one group that I uh, that I coach, a district that I coach, I think it's a team of 37, and eight of them are brand new into their roles. So, I mean, you certainly see yeah. that that kind of turnover happening in all places across, across the country. So let's, let's, let's go a little bit more into that, that experience of being, you know, a brand new principal, Um, your book, crisis management kind of, kind of hit on that and really kind of went into some of the experiences and some of the things that you learned. Um, Very similar. My my book, Road Awesome is, you know, from That first year as a building principal, breathing through a snorkel the entire time on through, you know, my coaching journey and that kind of stuff that 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 helped me move from firefighter to actual leader. Let's talk a little bit about the book, Crisis Management. And maybe I don't know, maybe there's a story or two that that are just like your favorites to share from that book.
1: Absolutely. And so that, that that book really is intended for early career leaders. And it came from my experience being very young and going through the system. But then also, when I got into teaching in the Ed Leadership program, I was really struck by the fact that it's the same program that I went through. So it's changed a little bit, but I'm pretty familiar with it. A lot of the things that we're teaching candidates as their perspective and before their career begins are not the kinds of things that are going to make or break them in the first year, two years, three years. We talked about fit already. You know, you come out of these programs, sometimes you can run through a brick wall and I'm going to take on the world. And, and I've seen it happen a couple of times. The first opportunity comes up. It's a building 45 minutes away. It's really enticing. They really want you and you, you, you feel like you can do it and you probably could do it. But is that the right fit at that time? And then a year or two goes by and that person is looking to make a change because that wasn't the right fit. Um, you know, that, that happens in a couple of different ways. One of my favorite stories from the book was um, a leader who was a very, very successful building principal, longstanding building principal, um, became an admin at a very young age, younger than probably you or I. And so they had a long runway to their career, took a step away from that principalship and went into more of a district level role where now you know you're you're managing and leading other administrators and larger systems and i remember him saying just like the phone never stopped and the emails never stopped and there's an element of that as a building principle but he got to a point where he had good systems in place and he was able to carve out time and it became really apparent four or five months down the road that he wanted it wasn't the right fit and just happened that the building that he was the principal in was still open. Ended up going back to that building and continuing with that successful career. And so there's an example right there, young family building level versus district office level, which is another consideration, I think when folks are thinking about their career path. Um, and then there, there's another one in there with a, a young leader who, who she just had, had a young family and was coming up through the system Again, went into administration pretty early and um, ended up taking on a principalship more or less because it was expected that she did it. She was kind of next in line and you had all that that pressure. You know, the tap on the shoulder can be a really good thing or it can fake you out a little bit because typically the person tapping you on the shoulder, I don't mean this in a a, a malicious way, has an agenda. They want to fill that position Mm -hmm. with someone they feel is going to be very good. They're not necessarily looking at the body of work from the same lens that you are. So this is someone who was tapped on the shoulder, went into the position and again, just was not happy, ended up leaving that position and really nobody understood. You know, it was kind of like you just got here. Like, why would you want to leave? And so, you know, one of the things I write about is it's not your job to explain to people why you're making the career moves that you've made, but... It's really important, you know, what, what I've learned to do in my own career, and then and, and also working with others, is the tap on the shoulder is great. Listen, it's a great moment. Someone believes in you. But give it a couple of dates. Go back to your regular life. You know, it feels like it's a little bit like The Bachelor. Like there's going on these dates in Spain. <laughs> of course they're going to fall in love, Darren. Of course they're going to fall in love. And and then they go back to real life and I don't have the data in front of me, but I think very few of those relationships have lasted. So it's a little bit like that. They want to give you the rose, but you've got to take a step back and go back to your making lunches at night and potty training your kid and getting them to basketball practice, realizing that, you know, that's not going to be there forever. Um there's going to come a point in time where you can do that work. Um, Maybe now is the right time. Maybe it's the right fit. I'm not saying it's not, but it might not be. So I've seen people get faked out by the tap on the shoulder. Um, But, you know, in these early classes in your grad program, you're taking the law class. You're taking the budget class. You're taking the curriculum class. When the reality is your first couple of years as an assistant principal, even a principal, a director, you're not in charge of any of that stuff you're not in charge of the budget. If something happens in your building that's legal, there's probably someone you're going to call to talk about like, "Hey, this happened. What are what should I do?" And so, we're not necessarily teaching the courses that will translate into early career success. How do you deal with difficult people? How do you lead people that are very different than you? Particularly for someone who who was incredibly, you know, above and beyond with their job, you know, there's a whole continuum of people in your building. Some people will have probably gotten tenure and maybe they shouldn't have. How do you work (laughs) with folks like that? Um, So I think there's a whole skill set around working with different kinds of people, being able to have difficult conversations, take that difficult phone call um, that we're not necessarily preparing people for. And I think those are the things that get you from assistant principal to principal. You know, it's not because you've developed the budget. That's way beyond where you're starting, typically. Um, so that was really the genesis of crisis management was, what are some of these things about the fit, about the work that you're doing early in your career that could really make or break your career?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, That was that was for me, that was that moment moving from, you know, just the firefighter, that's all I did was put out fires. And, you know, I've, I've talked about it on the show before about, you know, Superman syndrome, you know, boy, I have to be yeah, everything right. to everybody. And, yeah. you know, but but you do learn through the process. And you're right. There was nothing in my master's program that prepared me to do any of it, to be perfectly frank. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. you know, I think there was some some good leadership theory, you know, mm-hmm. that we learned, you know, around, you know, being a you know a servant leader and, you know, those types of things. That I guess help you maybe frame your mind around, you know, what I'm going to do and I'm in the role. But nothing prepares you for the first time you go and observe other classrooms, and they don't look like yours. You know that to me that was like this huge eye opener. You know, uh, wait a minute, <laughs> they're not doing it like I did. Um, you yeah. know, I mean, there right. were some who were holy cow, so much better than I was, and some who I was like, mm-hmm. what are you doing in here? Yeah, you know, I mean, there's no learning happening here. We've I mean, this is our responsibility. And anyway, I mean, you're right, there's so many parts to that. And as a school leader, whether it's an AP or a principal, whatever that first role is, there's there's a really steep learning curve. And, you know, something that you you touched on without going too deep into it was really like moving from right there boots on the ground in a classroom to Maybe seventy five hundred feet or ten thousand feet. You're not at the thirty thousand foot view like you are right. at the district level, but you're kind of right there in the middle. And being able to wrap your brain around what are all the different sites you need to take in, as opposed right. to you, not just what all are you seeing, because that's it's it's like you know driving down the highway at ninety miles an hour and you, you can't yeah. process everything fast enough, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's just really, really big, and and that actually takes me to to, to the next book, your your small habits mm. book. Um, man, we talk about an eye opener here. So there are those little things you talk about this in the book, and I'll I'll let you talk more more than me. But you you talk about those little things that we don't realize we're doing that can can push staff members away, or, you know, maybe set our culture in a direction we don't want to go those types of things. So let's, let's go into that a little bit.
1: Yeah, thanks, Darren. And so really, you know, the books are kind of part, like, let me put my ideas out there, and part, like my own professional development process. Um, You know, my experiences, others' experiences, again, we're not getting rich doing this kind of stuff. You know, so the small habits book was really a combination of now, I was now, let's see, that came out last year, 10 years into my career. know what are the things that I've experienced in my own leadership? What are some of the things that I've talked to others about and I've observed in others? Um, it, and the premise was really twofold. One is you can be a really effective leader, veteran leader, and have some really bad habits that are detracting from your effectiveness. Maybe they don't make you not back the next year or exit you from your job kind of stuff, but they're getting in the way of how effective you could be, how effective your building could be, all of those kinds of things. So that was one of the premises. And the other was if we don't catch those things early, they can just really become major gaps. So you want to catch them when they're tiny little faults and and before they become chasms. And so one of the examples I use from my experience is. Going back to that early principalship, young guy, building principal, elementary school, the staff is 97% female, which is totally fine. A couple of other younger male teachers who like to do things I like to do and talk about, like baseball, like football, those kinds of things, I would find myself, without really realizing it, I think in my mind it was kind of like I need to go and just talk to a guy. And I would go and talk about the Yankees game or the Mets game or whatever the case may be. And um, I had a veteran kindergarten teacher, someone who was actually on the hiring committee, who you know really was a proponent of mine and someone I worked really well with, came to me and said, Larry, I just need you to realize when you're always in so-and-so's room, the other staff notices that. And there's starting to be a little bit of a whispering campaign about oh, look at the lunch schedule that came out. I wonder if so-and-so got the best slot because of – and I wasn't doing that. In fact, I was trying to be intentional about not playing any favorites. And in reality, the perception was that I was playing favorites. So I really kind of had to recalibrate myself. And, you know, I think particularly when you're in a small community and you might have your own kids that are friends with the kids of those you work with, it doesn't mean you can't have those relationships, but I think it's important for the leader to be cognizant of when that might cross over into perception. And so, you know, that was a case where I was really able to kind of take a step back. It's not that I just ghosted this guy or never talked to him again. I still talk to him to right. this day, but I was a little more cognizant of whose room I was in, how I was utilizing what I perceived as my time to get around the building. Was it always with the same couple of people? Or was, I, was I going into his room because I, I knew he'd be welcoming and the room next door that I really need to get into, that teacher wasn't quite as right. welcoming, but I've got to get in there, but I was avoiding it. So that's something right there. Had that continued unabated, um, could have really detracted from some of the things we were trying to do as a building. And so I wasn't aware of it. I don't think it, I'm biased here, made me a bad leader, but it was definitely a little fault. That people were noticing that was important for me to recognize
0: you know i'm so glad you used that particular example because it, it made me think then and it makes me think now again even more so about one of those little habits that were forming very early in my assistant principal uh, position in, in that part of my career and the same kind of perception things. And I was grateful that a staff member came and talked to um, one of the other principals about this. Um, so first year AP, there are four total leaders in this building, principal, three assistant principals. Mm-hmm. The three APs, the other two guys had been head football coaches. I was a head basketball coach. Opening staff meeting when one was passing it to the next it was okay coach you're up you know and then oh, okay coach you're up and same thing you know when it was me you know hey coach you've got it and didn't think anything of it and the three of us were calling each other coach all the time Mm -hmm. there were those who very quickly took this perception of oh we got our own little you know good old boy club forming
1: And as soon as,
0: you know, that was, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we didn't think anything of it. I mean, when you're a coach, you call everybody coach. I mean, you just do. and But we had to very quickly stop doing that, you know, for the sake of just, you know, making sure that the perception wasn't wrong, you know, that we were, you know, playing any kind of favorites or, you know, we were all going to go hang out down in the locker room and just, you know, just kick it with our coach friends as opposed to, like you said, you know, maybe, you know, taking that difficult path and going into a classroom that you really needed to be in and go, you know, help make a difference in that classroom. So um, I I really appreciate that one. There's, there's one more I want to get to. Um, There's, uh, I think there's honestly like 100 more things I want to get to. But um, I know, uh, you were a contributor to uh, the 100 things to stop. So uh, Rick Jetter's work. And I'm curious, can you tell us just a little bit about the piece that you contributed to that work,
1: yeah. So, huge shout out to to Dr. Jenner. The the Blue Book on the 100 Stop series of what leaders should stop doing is coming out. It sounds like early next month. And um, the Red Book about what teachers should stop doing came out um, last year. And what I love about the work, and, and you know, your podcast is a great example of this as well. There are so many people out there for us to learn from. You know, you hear about. The, the heavy hitters and you know, I could watch the, the big solution tree people and you know, the Todd Whitakers, these just giants in the field, talk all right. day and learn from them. But that principal, two miles down the road might have some genius things that they're doing that we can learn from. So they've really created a platform for lots of voices to be elevated, which is what I love the most about that work. My chapter in the blue book that's coming out next month is chapter 19. And it's on, uh, again, a little bit of PD for myself. Stop worrying what other people will think of you. And, you know, I'm a recovering people pleaser. I still slip into that (laughs) from time to time. Um, And again, I I think back on those early days as a principal and other positions I've had where you're new, you want to prove yourself. You feel like you have to come in and solve everyone's problems and make sure nobody's unhappy. And And what I've realized over time is it's more about creating systems and a culture where people can do their best work. It's not really about like. It's also not the opposite. It's not like we want people to dislike us exactly. But it's the wrong it's the wrong framework. And um, I think people that I see that struggle, this is also part of the crisis management, early career work, is that they want people to like them, and that's their framework. And so when they don't like them, they take it personally, and they end up going down that rabbit hole. That can be really, really detrimental to a building's culture and their own leadership. And so my chapter in that book is, is to stop having people like you. And, um, you know, I think we all grow up in different paths. And, you know, my, my upbringing was, was really, knock on wood, and, and thankfully, very conflict-free, very conflict-free household. Um, you know, I, my, my father was an English teacher in school. So in a small town, so you sort of knew everyone. I was able to really raise my hand and play the game of school very well and benefited from that. So it was really only when I became an adult and a teacher, I, I can vividly remember it, that I ran into someone that was just a complete jerk all the time. And like, how do you, how do you, how do you deal with that? And so again, that was very young, very young teacher. My approach was I, try to get this person to like me and it didn't work and so those are lessons that i think now when you become a leader and it's your job to work well with everyone it's not about that framework it's more about how do you elevate the system and elevate the people rather than individuals liking you so my chapter in that book is uh chapter 19 how to stop you know stop worrying about if people like you or not or if you're pleasing everyone um and again, I went back and read it the other night. And even as I'm reading these things, I'm thinking like, oh, yeah, I did that yesterday. So it, as you know, it's an ongoing journey. It's an ongoing journey. I had an experience about two years ago. My family and I, one of our favorite vacation spots is Cape May in New Jersey. And so we go down there for three or four nights. And um, there was an article in our New York State magazine about crisis management. And it was talking about, you know, some of that. And, and, and uh, I'm away. I'm with my family. And I'm checking emails and I get a text message from someone like, Hey, read your article. Really great. Thank you for the reminders about when you're away, be away. And here I am in the moment, violating (laughs) the very thing that this person is praising me for. This is hard. And it's, it's, it's an ongoing journey. And I don't think there's ever a point in time where any of us have made it where we can say like, I've got that down. We're all works in progress. And so A lot of this, for me, listening to podcasts like yours, writing, reading, is just that ongoing saga of how can I continue to just get better? And sometimes we do take a couple steps back, like I did in that example. Um, But I'm looking forward to that book coming out. And uh, again, Dr. Jenner's work and his group's work has been really, really great in this field.
0: Yeah, he is he is truly one of the great ones out there. Um, big shout out, yes, to to Dr. Rick Jetter. He's doing some incredible work and raising those voices, like you said, of of people who are, you know, they're just boots on the ground. They're doing the work every single day and they're sharing, you know, great knowledge that that they're picking up along the road. One of the other ways that that we pick up great knowledge sometimes is through Twitter chats. And I know you are the host of the uh, S-A-A-N-Y-S chat. I've been on the chat a few times on Wednesday evenings. have no idea what S-A-A-N-Y-S is though. So this is my opportunity to ask you what that giant acronym is.
1: So it's the State Administrators Association of New York State. And there we have it. S-A-A-N-Y-S. It is the organization that provides professional learning for the administrative group in our state and and really beyond, but particularly in our state. I'm sure every state has an organization like that. And so I've been involved with them for a number of years. I've presented at their conference three times. Um, I've had a longstanding relationship with the director of professional learning. It was actually her. Shout out to Karen Bronson from SanEase. Uh, I went up to Rochester in the spring of 2019 to do a time management workshop with a group of Rochester administrators, and uh, it was like a dinner PD. So they were eating, which, you know, makes you feel better. Even if I stink, they're eating good foods. So that's good. <laughs> uh, there's, there's an open bar nearby, so how bad could I really be? Uh, but she said afterwards, like, wow, you should really think about writing a book on this kind of stuff, and up until that point, I don't think it really had been a realistic thought, so you know, out of that conversation came a couple of things. And I went to them in the summer and said, hey, you know, I've hosted some Twitter chats for just a a one-off host for a couple other organizations. And it's really a nice way to build a culture and build a camaraderie. Could we try this for New York State? And so they were gracious enough to say, yep, you can use our hashtag. And um, it's a very, again, thinking about fit, it's a great way for me to stay connected having a young family, being really busy. It's a half an hour once a week. There's some prep work that I can do on the weekends to get the chats ready and the, the graphics ready, but it's not like you're flying across the country for a conference. So finding ways that fit within your life to stay professionally developed, I think is really key. And so, you know, I know the future of Twitter has been a little banter about recently. Yeah. It's a great time to start a Twitter <laughs> chat, right? Great time to start a yeah, Twitter we'll chat. Yeah, we'll see how right? that goes. But, uh, <laughs> for now it's been a great experience uh typically we would be wednesdays i know we're recording this on a wednesday but we're off this week because of thanksgiving we'll be back next week so it's been a great experience and the last i would say two or three we started to i think really roll with uh you know you always have your group of regulars which i'm thankful for with then different people jumping in once a month twice a month like you have done and so it's been a fun little thing quite frankly and uh You know, definitely has been a great experience for me as well to not just get better at hosting a Twitter chat, but also learn from a lot of the responses that are coming in.
0: Yeah, it's been you know I, I've enjoyed you know the conversations and uh, the different topics. The I think I've been in there three times, and I actually yeah. do have it on my calendars for for every Wednesday night at it's seven o'clock Central Time. So um, I've got it on there so I can you know I can jump in and and e- either lurk or actually you know contribute. Yeah, um, but it's been Lurking
1: it's been great because it's
0: an opportunity to yeah. get to know people. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think,
1: and that's one of the, sure. the things that have had you dispel with a couple of people that I know. That said, hey, jump on tonight. Oh, you know, that I can't be on the whole time. That's fine. Come answer a question. There's some that I do from other states. Like if I can't participate, I can follow along a little bit here and there. And you're picking up something all the time. So it is a great way to stay connected, build connections as well, build a network. Um, so that's been a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's oh, awesome stuff, man, we could we could just keep on going and going and going. But uh, we want to make sure that okay. um, this fits into somebody's commute, you know, so. Um, so sure let's go not. ahead. Yeah, exactly. So so let's go ahead and jump into the final question. Uh, the question I ask everybody here on the leaning into leadership podcast, Larry, right now, what are some things you're doing to lean into leadership?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, w- I would say the biggest thing is, you know, being in a, a larger school district in our region, there's always gaps that come up in what's being done. So I have an opportunity right now to take on a significant part of our technology leadership in our district and really get into the guts of the back end of programs that we use and platforms that we use. How do how do privacy laws work? So I think those experiences, not that I want to do it for the rest of my career, and, and in in the same time as my current job, but a four month stint, a five month stint in that kind of role, you can really learn a lot. So I'm kind of in the middle of one of those right now. And um, it's taken me a couple of weeks to kind of get things recalibrated with my schedule, but I feel like I'm on track there. So there's been a lot of every day, you know, I'm looking at a platform that I never have logged into before helping a teacher access it. You know, it's not like the communication system can just not work. So a lot of these things have right. to keep going, despite there not being someone in the job. So a lot of great opportunities that way. Um, and the last thing I would say is really that connection with family. And, uh, you know, not to get super sentimental, but 13 years in, 42 years old, you're kind of like halfway through a career. Kids are growing up. I had the opportunity this summer to collaborate with Andrew Murata, Jeff Evener and Kevin Spanauer, who are all school leaders, in, you know, two in New York State, Andrew and Jeff, Cabins in North Carolina on a book about being a father and being a leader, dads, leaders and father figures leaving a legacy. We think that's going to be coming out sometime before the holiday season ends as well. And so that'll be promoted by all of us pretty, pretty much, um, you know, on our social media. So that book is really a collection of stories that we wrote about how there's this confluence of your leadership and your fatherhood and your family life. And, um, what are stories about how those things interact, conflict, work together? And uh, I'm really looking forward to that coming out um, and really being something that I think there's not a ton in that space right now. Um, and again, it goes back to fit. You know, you wanna you wanna have a success. you get one chance at a career. You know, you can't wake up at 80 and say, "Oh, I wish I would have done this." And you get one chance at being a dad and being a spouse. And you can't wake up at 80 and go back and be at the birthday party. You know, so there's realities to those two things. They're intentions sometimes. And so how do we make those choices and how do we figure that out? And So um, I think this book is going to really, really advance some of that thinking on it and hopefully also lead to a community of like thinkers and dads and leaders in the educational space that can help each other get better. So I'm excited about that as well.
0: I think that's fantastic. I'm looking forward to checking that out. Definitely a balance that I had to strike or struggled to strike, to be honest with you as, you know, high school principal, you know uh, you know, my daughter, I, I was fortunate enough to be my daughter's high school principal, but you know, it was those years leading up to that point in time, you know, where, you know, dance competitions and, you know, recitals and all those types of things you want to be there, but also, you know, you get the, got the, uh, you got the, you got your role pulling you in that direction, and uh, I definitely had to work on the balance for that. So definitely looking forward to hearing yeah, more about, still that. Am about that. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, so tell uh, just tell me really quick, Larry, for uh, for those who want to get in touch with you, and everybody should want to get in touch with you after this conversation. How is how is it that people reach out, connect with you, find you on social media, those those kinds of things?
1: Yeah, I would say the best way is probably again in this moment probably Twitter, um, at Larry Dake L A R R Y D as in David A K E at Larry Dake. Uh, that hashtag Sadie's Chat Wednesdays is uh, a fun one to jump in on as well and 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 network and join some like-minded people and and just again I like half an hour, three questions. It's not a huge commitment out of our lives, um, you know, and you can pick up some good learning in, in a quick half an hour. So. That's probably the best way.
0: Excellent. I will put links to all of that stuff in the show notes, folks, so you can definitely get connected with Larry. Dr. Larry Dake, thank you so much for joining me here on Leaning Into Leadership.
1: Thank you.
0: Again, a big thank you to Dr. Larry Dake for being on the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. You know, it happens so frequently here on the show, in fact, every episode, that our guest will drop incredible, incredible leadership gold nuggets along the way and Larry definitely did that again. He really brought it. But I want to call your attention back to when Larry was talking about finding your fit because so often I think as especially early career leaders, we're trying to find that next opportunity. We're not necessarily thinking about fit. Much more we're thinking about getting the next job. We might look at, you know, the amount of money it's going to pay. We might look at the location. We might look at the responsibilities. But sometimes we have to think about how does it really fit for me, for my family, for my career goals as well. And I really appreciated how Larry approached that and how he is giving that advice to his students as he is working with them at Binghamton University right now. I also want to say thank you to Larry for making a reference to The Bachelor because I never thought anybody would reference The Bachelor here on Leaning Into Leadership. And yet he certainly did. I stopped myself for a moment thinking, I think it's actually happened before. And I went back to the episode with Tom Cody because I thought it was Tom who had brought it up, but Tom actually referenced The Bachelorette. So there you go, folks. Never would have thought that we would have both The Bachelor and The Bachelorette reference here on Leaning Into Leadership, and it only took 48 episodes for that to happen. So kudos to you both, guys. And now it's time for a pep talk. Today's pep talk is really just a question. And the question is this, what are you reading? Are you reading something for pleasure, for relaxation? Are you reading something right now that's more of a professional read that helps you grow your skills, helps you just be a little bit better, a little bit sharper, maybe give you a one step up on the job? Are you reading something maybe that's all about a hobby you have or a passion that you just pursue outside of everything else you do? The point is, whatever you're reading, make sure other people know. I can tell you right now, I've got two books going. I'm currently reading Gary V's Crushing It. This is a professional read for me. This is about focusing on being an entrepreneur and growing my business and growing my influence. It's also part of a mastermind that I participate in with another group of entrepreneurs. I'll also tell you the second book I'm reading is James Patterson's Triple Cross. Why? Because I'm a huge Alex Cross fan. If you've read any of the Alex Cross novels, you get it you understand why. Now, I don't tell you this or ask you that question because I want you to know I'm reading something by Gary Vee or James Patterson. Rather, I want you to think about what is it you're reading and are you sharing that with others? Are you using that as an opportunity to talk about how you are growing or how you are maybe keeping that cup full for yourself, exercising a little bit of that self-care we talk so much about, Don't be afraid to share what it is you're reading, what you're learning, what it is that you're doing, both on the professional and on the personal side. It's one way to help build even greater relationships between you and the people that you lead. Thank you for joining me this week on Leaning Into Leadership. Have a Road to Awesome day. Thank you for listening to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast brought to you by Road to Awesome. Don't forget, click subscribe, give a review, and share this with somebody who might also enjoy leaning into leadership.